the exciting thing about Kings of Convenience is this. So it's two people who's doing this partnership and it's completely equal. And that makes it very difficult to, to work with. My name is Jeremy Kirkland, and this is Blamo. My guest this week is Erlen Oy. He's a singer, a songwriter, and musician known for his own music, legendary DJ sets, the electronic, non-electronic band The Whitest Boy Alive. But to many, he's one half of the acoustic duo from Bergen, Norway, Kings of Convenience. Their first album, Quiet is the New Loud, released in 2001 and caught the entire industry off guard. Softly spoken, beautiful harmonies with lyrics incredibly specific, yet perfectly vague. Music that, for me, not only influenced my life, but brought me out of my hometown and moved me to New York. This was a big one. Kings of Convenience recently released their new album, Peace or Love, after a 12-year hiatus. And it picks up exactly where they left off. Softly spoken, beautiful, intimate, and in a way, exactly what I want to hear in my ears these days. Erwin and I discuss how different projects are important for his mental health, why Kings of Convenience took over a decade off, how the digital age of music affects promotion, his take on fashion, making music in quarantine, why he doesn't mind if you listen to the music on your study playlist, and their own oblique strategies for songwriting. Let's go. Mr. Erlinoy, thank you so much for joining. How are you doing? I'm doing very good. It's been a nice day. Um, it's difficult to understand when to <laughs> agree to do a podcast or what time of the day. Oh, and yeah. I've, cho- I've chosen this time of the day because it is one hour before dinner time. Oh, okay. But it's so also, that way uh, you, can, if, you can dart out with, if necessary? No, it just means that, you know, if I if it was going to be at 9.30, then it would be at dinner time and it would right. most likely be a bad time. Right. If it would be at 7.30, it would be exactly when the sun goes down, where you might end up being in a very beautiful time here in Syracuse. And you, don't, you know, you don't want to miss that. But at 8.30, the sun has gone down, still a little bit of light outside, but, you know, most likely I would be at the I would be at home then. Right, right. Yeah, because you're pretty nomadic. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, we're all pretty nomadic during the day. I mean, we're in the house. We sure. leave the house. Yeah. And then we go back to the house. And that's where we're all nomadic. But I'm I'm generally very nomadic in my, if you look at my life. Yes. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, before we jump in, one of the things I, I don't know if you remember this, and I don't expect you to, but I met you in like 2004 or so maybe, I sang and danced on stage with you at the Bottleneck in Lawrence, Kansas when Leslie was opening for you guys. Lawrence, Kansas. Exactly, yes. <laughs> I it's okay if you don't go- remember. <laughs> I remember going, I remember the show was like, I was thinking, this is a very, this is a very rundown venue for coming <laughs> with a huge sleeper bus. As we were. <laughs> and yeah. then uh, after the show, we went to International Hands of House of Pancakes, I think. Because Got as always, yeah. I was as always I was hungry. <laughs> and there's nothing open, you know, yeah. after the show. So you have to just make do with whatever is there. Yeah. 
But that was a that was a, a very special show because also weirdly, um, like Leslie was was doing Mushaboom, and I was a huge fan yeah. at the time, and I think she was having some technical issues with her loop pedal, yeah. and I was clapping to try to help with the beat because you know the beat of Mushaboom, there's that yeah. like little clap in the background. Yeah. Yeah. And she was like, why don't you just come on stage and sing the rest of the song? And, you know, I, I think I was 17 at the time, 18 at the time. <laughs> and I was like high on life. It was the greatest thing. And so I, there's a letter that I have behind me. She wrote like, you saved my ass in Kansas. You're hired. And um, weirdly over the years, it's been funny because, you know, I moved to New York in 2005 and, you know, became buddies with a few other friends and then there was like the Toronto music scene and Kevin Drew and then all those folks and like you know we we had these like interweavings and everything has always been like oh you know what you should meet Erlen like do you know Erlen Doy like oh and then you know buddies in Berlin that were making music and then Kieran at Fortet and all that and so there's been many times where it's like we've been multiple degrees apart and I can't tell you how happy I am to finally be talking to you uh in this situation now so Anyway, um, I, I definitely want to talk about the new record as uh, it's very much like this breath of fresh air, you know, and, and talk to you a little bit about recording it. And then also, you know, what's been going on with you during um, just this kind of bizarro year we've had. Peace or Love came out uh, not too long ago, and it was an album that you guys recorded like five times and it, it took over 12 years to make. I'm just curious, like, how was some of that recording like? Well, I mean, it's all pretty, it's all pretty relaxed when it, when it comes down to it. It's um, yeah. It was really, I would say, there is a year 2016 and 2017 mm-hmm. where we did a lot of recordings. Since we live in Europe, but not in the same place, it would be like one month, one week a month, maybe mm-hmm. something like that. Um, and then we, we were in Bergen for like two months. When I look back at it, it seems as if 90% of the time is what happens the first three days of any recording session. Right. That is of anything good. That is, of, that is any good. And then when you keep on rolling with the same in the same place and in the same guitar in the same setting, the magic stops to happen. Yeah. It's very difficult to be in the same room again and feel that you give your best again. <laughs> and, or that you feel like you need to give your best again. And also with the same engineer. What we found a lot is that we, we use like to use a lot of engineers because, you know, the engineer is someone who's actually sitting and listening. And if right. that person has been listening to us recording the song 10 times over, it's hard to feel that we need to play it good for that person. But that essentially is what we do with Kings of Convenience. We are playing music as if we had an audience of five or seven, you know, or one. So you need to feel, you, you know, you need to fool yourself. What we are, yeah, a lot of what we're trying to do is we are fooling ourselves to think this is either one, we're not recording. Two, there is a nice person here. We want to play good for that person. Right. And for example, the songs with Leslie, 
yeah, has this actually added bonus that, well, we're anyway playing for her because she hasn't really heard the songs that much and we haven't played that much. So we're both playing, so think, singing, thinking that she will hear it. She is, she's listening. She's definitely listening. That really right. helps. Yeah. So, I mean, because yeah, so much of your guys' music is like an energy, you know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of ambience in the silence. It's, it's, you know, I, um, mm. it reminds me of that. Did you ever get, did you guys ever do the oblique strategies card game when you were writing songs? Um, oblique, this is very interesting to me. What so Brian Eno had a songwriting like game that was a card game called oblique strategies. And mm-hmm. it was basically a way to help, you know, keep things from being too stagnant when you were writing songs. So an example of uh, like an oblique strategy would be like, try it again, you know, with less energy, you know, or, uh, yeah. uh, you know, an example, one of the things is do nothing for as long as possible, or a line has two sides, you know, Um and, okay. and so they would be things that would be like, if you're writing, you would draw a card and that, and then you would follow what that card says to help shape your song. And the, the, if, you know, the instructions are ambiguous enough that they apply in every situation that you're doing. And so people sure. would use them to, to kind of just kind of speed the process along or to, to alter the process. Let me think about what would be our the oblique strategies that we have followed. Well, there would be uh, try another guitar, uh, put on a capo, so you transpose the song higher, mm. and it could be just you know one half note, but already you know you would feel different, be different. It would feel like yeah, this is it. Oh yeah, that was. This is the missing thing. Of course, it was one half note too low. Now everything's gonna change, and that <laughs> fools you again to think this is gonna be it. And everyone like is doing their their best. Yeah. Um, and another oblique strategy we have would be to well, you know. Um, Let's take a year break. <laughs> and see what Touché. happens after the year. After what happens after the year is over. Yeah, when it comes to songwriting, we 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 do we discuss a lot, but we yeah, we don't have that many strategies. I mean the strategy is uh wait until real inspiration comes along and don't right. bother about small ideas that didn't really want to be born. And I mean, I can be very convincingly say that on this album, we have, you know, cooked it down to the best. Right. And um, also that there's a lot of life, you know, there's 10 years of, of life here that finally ends up in 11 songs. Yeah. Well, that's also two people's lives, so it's 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 a lot of material. I mean, that usually helps if the if the raw song material is good. You'd be hard; it's going to be hard to really fail badly. But right. at the same time, at the same time, there is this 
we have a certain responsibility to our song ideas that we have we have we have to be feel happy with the result or me and Eric we have to at some point listen to the song and thought wow this is great i love it <laughs> and uh, if you've had that once then you you know that of course listening to it tons and tons of times again you might find something you don't like about the recording of the song but as long as you've had at some point the feeling Wow, this gave me goosebumps. But you know that maybe that's maybe something that you feel, particularly after you've had a year of break. If you right. take a break for a year and you listen to the songs again, it's very easy to understand out of the five, six, seven, three versions of the song, which is which is the good one. Yeah, and and then you just know because you you haven't listened to it for a year and you you start to become quite objective. Right. But, you know, someone like you, you're kind of like this multi-layered artichoke of music in the sense that, like, you have all these different um, roads that you've been down for your songwriting from, you know, the DJ stuff, of DJ Kicks, to the solo album you had a few years ago. I think a lot of it was in Iceland and there was kind of the the Mm -hmm. little bit of reggae into it. And obviously what a lot of people knew, which was just like this behemoth was whitest boy alive. Um, yeah. Are there, you know, are there Kings of Comedian songs that you think wouldn't have been written if it wasn't for the other songs that you had written beforehand? Um, I don't know about that. Uh, but I do th- think it's, it's, it's very been very important for my mental health to be able to do all kinds of musical projects. And um, usually when I do a record with any other project than King's Convenience, things go really quickly. Right. Because when I did, you know, when I go to Iceland and I try to do a record there, it's pretty obvious that I'm, you know, I'm 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 the singer. It's my songs. There is, of course, a disagreement between the people involved. Should we do like this or like this or like this? But at the end of the day, it's my record. When it comes to Kings, there is this weird thing about the democracy of two. Right. So I vote for, I vote against. Oops. What do we do now? Because <laughs> one no equals two no's, correct? Um, well, one no means that we're definitely not going to do anything. <laughs> that's, that, I mean, that's clear. But I mean, you know, well, let's not talk about it like this. It's not about no, but no, but you know, what, what, we, what do we prefer? Let's say, I prefer this one. You prefer this one. Okay, now what do we do? And then you try, you know, then you try to say, oh, I played it to my friend Christian the other day. He seemed to like that version. Yeah, but he heard, did he hear the other version? Yeah, I played that to him afterwards. Yeah, but you made it clear that you like this version. Of course, you want to say I like that version. And, um, you know, this is that the exciting thing about Kings of Convenience is this. So it's two people who's doing this partnership and it's completely equal. And that makes it very difficult to, to work with. For us, it's very frustrating to do this. Right. Um, but I'm very happy that we're doing this interview now, by the way, because if you have, if I had to do it like three or four months ago, in the good old days, you do all the interviews before the record, long before the record comes out, I would still be in this frustrated mode. <laughs> and now, you know, 
I've forgotten so much about the frustration. So I'm, and, you know, I'm kind of relaxed at home and it's summer and everything is fine. And I can speak about it in a very sort of calm and relaxed way. Right. But you know, like for me, I think one of the things that's, that's special about Kings and especially in the recent documentary you guys did is there's, there's a lot of beauty in the tension. I think when I heard, um, you know, seeing you and Irix back and forth and hearing, you know, it, it's almost like a masterclass in polite criticism. And I don't know if it's the language barrier or what, but there's something that's really nice in that. And when you think about how egos take over much of, you know, for lack of a better term, mainstream music now, it, mm-hmm. I don't think you get the best results. You know, you get, I think you get results with compromise. And it's, it's really beautiful to hear how that was happening in your guys' music. Yeah, I think it's, I, I find it very boring right now. There's so many solo artists and um, it's more interesting to, I mean, bands are very exciting. When you have a band with not even two, three, four strong characters, that's really fun to watch and follow. I mean, as a, as a fan. Yeah. Because particularly, I mean, it's very sad when I hate it when I like a band and one member goes off. I was, you know, I'm, I'm still a huge fan of the Rapture. Always lo- loved those guys. We're, you know, friends since back then. And when Matt Safer lo- left the band, you know, it, it's very sad for me because I just loved how they managed to to stay together and be different. But you know, and then you know, Matt was always doing singing some songs, and um, Luke was singing other songs. Um, yeah, um, I like so. I'm I'm not afraid of the tension between us. That's definitely uh, as long as you know, as long as we we do get results. And I guess something that I've been thinking a lot about during this this album process was that for the next thing we release, we're gonna just go song by song or small EP by small EP because making albums for us starts to become. It is just you know, it is very very. It takes a lot of it takes a lot of energy for, from from us. And maybe it's a bit unnecessary. I mean, you know, now that we made four albums, I feel like okay, we've really done done and did a did a good job. So, well, maybe we can allow ourselves to do a single and a B side, you know, next year. Yeah, and and just as together with touring and just let it come out around a new tour and have something fresh to to play whenever that happens. That's one of the things that, you know, because you guys have been a band for so long, you've seen the music industry just change in every way, shape and form from, mm-hmm. you know, you look at Quiet is the New Loud, you, you know, there was a street team for that. I think Astroworks put it out. There was all this, yeah. you know, prep and hype and tours. And it was it was more of what we would all call like the traditional artist album structure, promotion, et cetera. And now yeah. because of streaming... You know, while it is, I I would argue, and I, it breaks my heart. I don't think that the streaming artists take very good care of the artists or the the streaming companies take very good care of the artists in terms of royalties and stuff. But what is nice is I think in some cases it it can make a little bit less pressure on artists to to have a completed set of works every time they need to put out new music. You can just put out a song, you know, every few months and that's it. You know, you, you don't need the... Yeah, like you were saying, just the 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 struggle and exhaustion of what it would take to put out 
a 10 song, 12 song LP. Yeah. And you're, you're doing that with Comitiva, right? With, uh, with La Comitiva? Yeah. Basically that. And, and, and it, for, for the Spotify side, Spotify side of things, that definitely works. Right. You release a song and then you release another song. And then, you know, all the people who have already listened to that song will then get, it will come up on their feed in some way or the other. Exactly. Yeah. And this, this kind of, that does a lot of work for free for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so y- yes, we are doing a lot of promotion now for this out release, but I don't know w- how much of a difference does it do. I'm not sure mm. when, you know, basically like if, if main, most people are just listening to music while um, they open their Spotify and right. they see that there is some new recommendations or they just put on a playlist or they pull a, put on a song and they listen to the radio of that song and a new song comes on and they, Oh, I like this. What's that? I mean, back in the day, it would be um, 20 years ago, you would walk into a record store and see what's new. Right. And so the question is, have you then, did you then hear about something new? Have you heard it? Have you read about it? Have you heard it on the radio? You know, have you seen the blame of podcast? <laughs> yeah. I want to check something out. Yeah. Um, so basically Spotify is a record store in your phone. So it's much more easily available. And it, it seems as if we don't need to do so much to reach people. Um, because you could hold, you could argue that people, you know, the good music will find its way to the people, which is true to a certain extent. And also, you know, not true. I mean, yeah, you still, I think we're, we're, we're lucky to already have established a lot of fans. So now by the time that this album comes out, there's, you know, already a lot of established fans that easily find out about our new record. I mean, that's key. And that's, yeah, that's key. And that's wonderful to know that there is the system that, that Spotify basically have. They, they, they have all logged all people's preferences. So yeah. if somebody listened to us already, let's say 1,000 listens in the last three years, they will for sure find out about this album. And that kind of does a lot of the work of the promotion. Yeah, because you know, even what you were saying when you were talking about like the traditional record stores, the what's new in most cases would have been whatever the label or the distributor was giving them. So, you know, alternative ADA or whatever it was, they were sending like, Hey, check out this new band or check out. I mean, for me, like I heard of Kings and convenience because I was super in, I was super into Astral works and Ah. you you guys were the new Astral works, you know, cause Astral works was like fat boy slim and, um, um, Oh, geez, that, that one band that was like, air. I mean, yeah, Daft Daft punk, all that stuff. So it was like, that that cosine did all that stuff for me but because of spotify there's also no for me like there's no release thing i'm not looking for the new songs i'm just looking for the right songs yeah the cool thing about being a sort of a band that never really was that popular (laughs) is that people will find a song of yours and think that you're a new band and they'll be excited about showing it to someone yeah but if if everyone heard about your band 20 years ago, it just doesn't seem very much fun to dig it up now and, you know, a good song from that thing that everyone knows what is. Right. So it can be good to be, you know, indie, to kind of keep a, a steady 
flow of, 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 of new interests just simply because so many of the people that would like it just haven't heard it yet because it hasn't been, you know, published, promoted to you everywhere. Yeah. Just in some channels. But um, back to back to, to Spotify, that's a, that's a theme that I am, something that I think a lot about is I really wish that they would change. they become more album oriented. Because, you know, like what, what I think is really weird is that you cannot uh, press on the thumbnail uh, image of an album and then hear the album. Hmm. That's a good point. You have right. to press on this, those three little dots and then it comes with this list of tons of stuff. And then at the bottom of that, you have to even scroll here, go to album. Yeah. Anyway, um, one of the other things I want to chat with you about that I don't know if you were ever aware of this is, you know, like Blamo's got like, we've talked to musicians and actors and actresses, and but a lot of the theme in the background has always been like fashion and people's approach to fashion. And you, whether you realize it or not, have been a bit of like a fashion icon specifically for Gucci uh, for years. I don't know if you knew this. No. So Alessandro Gucci? Michele. Yeah, yeah. Um, the creative director of Gucci You've you've been on the uh, the inspiration boards in the older things when when you had larger glasses and the royal elastics and all of that stuff. I don't know if you remember the, the <laughs> London days of Illinois. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, no, I had no idea about that. Well, there you go. That's funny. <laughs> um, I'm 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 not so into I'm not interested in fashion as big labels. No. I find that what big labels do are it, it's a very weird game into sell clothes into people. I mean the whole concept of, of you know of con of creating the the catwalk and then all these defilés. And then in the end what you can buy in the stores is something completely different that has just like a little tiny percentage of that style yeah. for sale. And um I mean I just I just and I find it very hard as a man to buy anything that's not very boring. Really? And I find it very hard to be a large man to go to South Korea and find that nothing fits. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah, I mean, because you're, you're like 6'4", I think, or something like that. Yeah, I'm trying to yeah, remember. I'm very, yeah, very tall. Yeah. Um, anyway, that, I just thought that was funny that you'd get a kick out of that. So one of the other things I want to chat with you about is like, you've kind of just lived all over the place. I mean, you were in Berlin, you were in London. I mean, so what, why is that? And, and why did that happen? Do you feel more comfortable kind of in constant change? Yeah. Um, I find that, uh, as long as I get a good night's sleep and I can wash my clothes, uh, I'm not really, I don't really feel homesick. I don't really get homesick. It's very rare that I get homesick. Um, I feel very at home in people. I mean, if I'm with a crew of people that I like, mm -hmm. that's what I need. For example, when I was in San Jose del Cabo now, it was, it's a cool story. Um, we were supposed to play in Mexico City with The Widest Boy Life. Two big shows, two big festivals was booked and it was kind of our big reunion back to Mexico, our, you know, home base as a band. And, you know, just as all the members of the band had arrived, they got canceled because of COVID. 
uh, we went to San Jose del Cabo because we had this invitation from a hotel to come there and do a small show and record something in, in the studio. We knew nothing about the place. And then we would go, we were about to go there. And uh, then two of the members of the band, they were not allowed to enter into the state. They hadn't been there also because of COVID. They came from Europe, wrong country, something like this. Sure. They had to go home. So I, I went with the drummer, Sebastian Machat, and myself. Then with Clara, who is a friend of mine from Spain, who is a, who is, um, um, a painter. And, um, uh, and together with Jorge Aguilar, which is our sort of, um, uh, our tour manager. So we ended up there. Well, we arrived and of course the situation in Europe got even worse. This was like 15th of, of March and it became clear that none of us really wanted to go back to Europe at this time. It just seemed a very bad idea. And this hotel, Hotel El Ganso, they basically invited us just, you know, guys, we have nothing here. I mean, everything is canceled. Please stay, fill our hotel with something, do something useful. And yeah, that's what we did. And, um, we had an amazing few months there in a you know very deserted town uh, with very beautiful um, uh, beaches. If you went just like 30, 40 minutes away, and we recorded an album there. And Clara did a lot of painting. Um, yeah, it was uh, an, an, an amazing time. Um, San Jose del Cabo feels a bit like you know the, the newest of the new world. It's like, it's a bit like Perth in Australia. Okay. Which is, uh, you know, a very isolated place where sort of they haven't, they haven't gotten very much, very far in development, really. Like, like everything is very new still. Um, uh, it feels like in San Jose del Cabo, it feels like, you know, they need people. Right. Need more people. You know, it's not <laughs> like you go to New York and you think, why am I here? Right. Who the fuck are you? you know, I mean, like you in San Jose del Cabo, it's like, uh, oh, great. More people. We need you. Yeah. And um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's been a, and it, it, it's, it's exactly the thing that I hope that my life is about. Traveling with some friends that I, whose company I really enjoy. And then find a new town, a new place, and set up camp, figure out about how we're going to make food, how we're going to, you know, how we're going to do our things, how can we record, where can we play, who can we get to know what's happening here. And I can gladly go and do that for the rest of my life. I mean, the world, I don't, I mean, there's not that many places that's really enjoyable to do it. I mean, you still have to look. Yeah, I mean, you were in paradise. I mean, for, for many people when you were recording that, uh, maybe visually, uh, I don't know about mentally, yeah. but yeah, d definitely it was. I mean, seeing the stuff from the the album that the the quarantine El Ganzo. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it looked incredible. Um, and no, no, it was absolutely incredible. Yeah. Yeah, and then the the lockdown blues song, which was like, it, you know, it's funny because when you've talked about songs that you've written and songs that you've written very fast, um, you know, wh whether yeah. lockdown blues or fever or any of these songs, like that there's so much beauty and just the simplicity of it. Like how, how did lockdown blues happen? Did you really record that all over zoom? 
no. Okay. We recorded it. Um, uh, that, that, that I'm very happy that that illusion came true. <laughs> no, uh, it's just a new way of making music videos. I mean, Touché. everyone listens to the songs. Yeah. Everyone listens to their song and just plays along to the part, their own part right. in the song. Right. But what we have done also uh, is if you, you do that, you play, you, you play along to your song, but you actually use the audio recording of your phone. Right. And if you, if you listen to Lockdown Blues, the first 12 seconds, I think, is from the recording of the phone. And then I switch it to the recording of the, of the, of the actual recording. Um, yeah, I, I get, I get very, I really don't know what to do with music videos. I find it very hard to have to find up a new concept of music videos every time I'm doing music videos, because I mean, you kind of have to do it now if you release anything, but it's, you know, I'm not really a music video maker. I'm, I'm a musician, but I feel that people put, but you have to do music video. We have some video now. <laughs> Yeah, but such a great song. It deserves a music video. Uh, Do you know why it's uh, why people want music videos? You ready for this? No. This blows my mind yes. to this day. Because yes. the number one music player still to this day is YouTube. Yes. Which is crazy. Um, people, you know, so many people, like younger kids and stuff, I mean, they'll just open up a tab and they'll just listen to a, a YouTube music playlist. Which, like, yeah. I don't. In my mind, I mean, I'm in my, you know, mid to late thirties, like it, it, I don't do that. I will listen to a record, you know, or I'll listen to like Spotify in my car, but like YouTube for music. I watch cat videos on YouTube, not, (laughs) not music videos. Now, of course it it is, it is that way because it's for free. Touche. Yes. So I'm sure that, I'm sure that in, in some countries like India, yeah, where people don't definitely don't have ten dollars a month, or that seems like well, okay, so I get it for free here, and you have to pay ten dollars. Right. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, so you know they just listen for free on, on YouTube, and and that's probably you know one billion people listening to music, and you know suddenly you've got two numbers. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. That there, there is the success of of many many artists when if if you're big on YouTube, you're 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 going to be okay. Um, yeah. Uh. And, and so the, the Algonzo album happened in lieu of the Whitest Boy Alive stuff. But I know many people are still curious, like, will there be another Whitest Boy Alive album or another Erlen solo album? I mean, I'll be honest with you. The Kings of Convenience album is, is incredible. I don't think you need to do any other ones, but I don't know if you just write songs as just as you breathe. Yeah, well, I, there's just a lot of songs that I haven't released. I would love to put them out. Um it's it's difficult to to make it all happen. This it involves so many people. There's so many, you know, tours to do. Um, I mean, as you get older, as you get in your forties, the other musicians that I know, you know, there, there's there's so much ego uh, in a good way, and there's so many different people, and you have to get it right. <laughs> If you want a good recording, you have to, you know, people have to feel good and it has to be the right time and you have to plan it. And planning things also, you know, well, planning in a time of COVID, forget about that. We had a Why This Boy Live uh, reunion uh, session fixed uh, in November last year, just, you know, before 
Ger- just when Germany got hit with, you know, a wave of COVID and Sebastian that was still in Mexico, he didn't want to come back for that. Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so Machat, I mean, Machat, the, the, I mean, call him Sebastian, you know, Sebastian Machat, whatever Machat, I call him Machat. Mm-hmm. Uh, his last name. Um, he, uh, he's still there. I mean, he basically, he, 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 we went there. We were supposed to be there four days and he's still there. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's, All right. Well, yeah, it's God bless one him. and a half years. He, he's the real. No, Matt, you know, yeah, because he doesn't, he doesn't have one thing that I have. I, I am, I am, I, I need to produce things and release them. And he's a musician. He's a very good musician, but he mainly craves to do music every day. It doesn't really matter for him if it's released or promoted. Mm. So, so he's there now doing all kinds of things, you know. Like I told you, like Sandra Serra Cabo is a place that needs people. And he's exactly this kind of power that is just, you know, gone there. He's doing like sessions. He's recording people. I mean, playing flute, playing trombone, playing drums, all kinds of things. Wow. <laughs> yeah. See, the, the only argument that I would have against it, and let me just, you know, state that it's an extremely selfish argument, is yeah. there's a lot of music out there. A lot of music. And I would argue that anyone is allowed to make music and release it, power to them, but only a small percentage of it is really, really good. And you're, you have a, a very high track record of making music that is very, very good that people want to hear. So it's like, you kind of have to release it. Because if not, someone else is releasing other songs that are just not very good. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's a good, that's a nice way of looking at it. Um, I need that kind of motivation. Um, I still, I still do also feel that I am definitely repeating myself uh, at a certain uh, extent. Um, there is, there is a lot of stuff I'm doing with La Comitiva, which is instrumental things. That's something that I feel I really would like to do something with because, well, you know, I can't use my recognizable voice as the sort of as the front of the ship that gets us through the ice it's um, it's harder to to do instrumental music because i won't use my yeah, most recognizable feature mm. but i really like instrumental music and i think the world needs it and i think that being on a study playlist is beautiful and i never i never felt that I never feel offended if people use my music in a background sense of way. Interesting. Because I know that's just, that's just a way of getting to know. I mean, it, 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 it shows a quality of the music that it can be listened to at a low volume and be like, um, you know, interior design kind of thing. You know, it just makes your room nice. Right. But at the same time, you can, you can listen to it on headphones and with nothing else going on. And then you can feel... Oh, there is a totally different intimate dimension in it. Yeah. Have you ever done binaural recordings? What is that? Binaural audio is uh, what they'll do is they'll place the microphones for the session, usually on like a mannequin head placed between uh, a left ear and a right ear. And it's really just a stereo recording. But the recording is the way that a human would hear it. So... If you're on one side of the room and you're singing, obviously the you know 
one microphone would pick that up better than the other. And so you mix it the way yeah. someone would hear it. People used to call it like virtual reality hearing, but people have yeah. released albums that are like, that feel like live room experiences with just a stereo recording. It's just two microphones yeah. around your ears. What yeah. you're talking about there is is interesting, but it it doesn't show. It doesn't have the both dimensions of what I just spoke about. Right. It just has the dimension. If you put earphones on, it's very intimate. It's very nice. Correct. But if you listen to it on, you know, on on a Bluetooth speaker, it might sound really thin and <laughs> yes, not great. You're exactly right. And yeah. I want the music. So so the, my headache and our headache. Um, Eric, of course, feels the same way about this, is that we're both trying to do very sort of hi-fi, beautiful listening things. And at the same time, we want to sound good on a Bluetooth speaker. Right. And I think that's the main reason why it takes such a long time for us to release an album. Yeah. I mean, because we, we don't know if we knew exactly what kind of um, listening device people are using then it would be very easy because like, let's say people are only going to listen to it on their laptop. Okay. So we are mixing it on the laptop. Right. Right. Sounds good on the laptop. It sounds good. All good. All good. No problem. But it has to sound good on a laptop and a car stereo and a phone and an old hi-fi and a Bluetooth. And, you know, it has to sound so good so many places. And that's why it can really drive you nuts to make an album. Yeah. Jeez. Um, we're, we're starting to wrap up, so I want to, want to go through a few other questions here. Um, what's the last song that you heard that you wish you wrote? I mean, the most exciting, I will just say the most exciting song for me in the last two years mm -hmm. to listen to is a song by Henry Mancini called Lujon, which is L-U-H-O-N. Hmm. Maybe you can play a bit of it in your... Podcast. Yeah, I can. So I'll, I'll put it up and I'll, I'll play a small amount that hopefully it doesn't get the show taken down. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just need you just need the first impact of the song and you kind of get it. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's instrumental music. It's probably made for a movie. Um, it's made from a time when recording budgets were enormous mm. and musicians were incredibly good and... It's a world where it's something that you cannot do now because everything has changed. I mean, I think even for big movies, you know, they don't necessarily need, they didn't record with symphony orchestras. Yeah, a lot of it's sampled. Because, yeah, a lot of it's sampled. So um, this, I realized that I need many, many years of learning about classical music or classical instruments to, le to learn to be able to do that thing. Mm -hmm. And maybe I will never do it. But it's the one thing that really, really amazes me still when I hear that song. Yeah. I, f I think, oh shit, there's so much yeah. left to do. You know, there's music like that that's, yeah, th it's all instrumental, but it's able to capture an energy, an emotion. And I didn't, I don't know what the song is even about. But like, you know, there, there's stuff like that that's just so beautiful that it, that it hits you in a different way. I mean, and I think when you were talking about classical stuff like that, that nails it. And there's also stuff when there's, you know, listening to Rumors, not the Fleetwood Mac album, the first track on your album. Mm -hmm. um, 
that hits pretty hard once the bass kicks in in the, the second verse. Mm. I mean, th- yes. there is there is a very there is a wave of peace on that song, uh, and so I mean, you, you're kind of already doing it. Just just so you know, no, but it, it's like this, you know. I'm if somebody who were not part of Kings of Convenience wanted to to do what we do, they would spend a lot of years figuring out about it. Yeah, because it it requires. Um, I mean, you have to learn so much about guitar playing, guitars, and um, so for you know, for me, it's very easy. Not very easy. No, it's not true. But it's relatively easy to do what we do. Right. But you will always listen to something that you don't know about, and to you, it's just full of wonder and amazement. I'm sure to Henry Mancini when he made this this song, it was just like. Yeah, yeah, it's that kind of thing, you know, with the, doing the percussion and then the swell comes in and yeah, but it, it's the people seem to like it, so whatever. <laughs> I'm sure that, that would that would totally be him talking about about, about the song, right? Um, and also in my life, that's something that I thought, thought a lot about, you know, to to be grateful for the thing that you're good at. Uh, if you're good at something, it, you know you should probably just stay doing that because although it would be nice to do all kinds of music, yeah. there's other musicians and other artists for that. And the, the, what the music world needs is that the good mu- musicians do what they're good at and then the listener choose whenever they want to hear to that or that or that or this. Right. And I find I'm very, com- I'm quite confused when I hear a lot of uh, uh, the criticisms of our uh, latest album. Criticisms. I, yeah, like you talk about pitchfork the, the or crit- some sort of whatever. No, I mean, there's there's always there's always people who are like the big. I'm not saying that we are, we are being regularly being bad, but for what people mention as could be better, you know. But couldn't there just be one song where finally they you know they you know step up and you know uh, alt you know and and um, raise their voices a little bit? And I just don't understand why. Uh, yeah, but. That's okay, but don't you understand? We just keep on doing the same thing. And when you want more of that, here we are. <laughs> and if you don't want more of that, I don't think you need us to do this other thing. I mean, we could, but at the same time, you know, you want, well, you want Burberry to make that thing with the beige and the white thing, right? The Novacek, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I forget who had said this, where they talk about like music is just the highest art form because it also lives in perpetuity, right? It's just like painting that, you know, Mm -hmm. Mona Lisa was painted eons ago. And even though Da Vinci didn't give a shit about it and never finished it and actually would have rather been a a, a war architect, (laughs) it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter that painting still exists and it still, you know, is in the form that it was in. And then music is, is probably one of the only art forms that's like that other than film. Yeah, it's interesting now when, you know, we only have, um, there's, there's only been 50, 60, 70 years of recordings. Exactly. So we are now, we're reaching kind of, we're reaching a point where, you know, we have a lot of recordings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I don't, um, 
we haven't i mean we have written music from the from the classical era so i mean painting definitely has been around for much longer mm-hmm. and we are comparing you know when you're comparing all painters to like basically wow that's it goes quite long time yeah and the fact there's Back. still new you know there's still new things to be done i mean if you think about how many chords there are and how many notes there are and sure no, nothing is new but at the same time which is why you know for me like music is is more than just the song the emotion behind it is yeah that's always going to be unique i mean for sure with with lyrics uh it, you know it it suddenly takes on a whole other whole, whole other dimension that um we can we, we can always keep on writing songs mm-hmm. so because it's both the the music and the style and the way it's played but it's also the words and why are they singing this now? Why are they singing this into 2021? Right. I mean, it, it's, it, it's the, the way you choose your words now, I mean, is different from when you were in 1970. So, yeah. Um, it definitely may mean something that, you know, we do music, which could have been recorded in 1960s or 1970s, but we've, you know, we chose to do that. We, we chose to not use computers exactly because there's also and this is kind of one of the last things i wanted to discuss with you there's there's you have some songwriters whom they only want you to you can only like the song if you understand the whole point and purpose of it right in the sense that you shouldn't listen to this song or i don't know i'm just going to make something up you shouldn't listen to song b in a period of joy because it was about sadness you know bob i actually during the pandemic, oh. I was rereading a bunch of, you know, I read Paul Simon's bio and Bob D- and, you know, one of the Dylan bios and Dylan talked about a lot of people were giving him flack for the songs that he was writing and he would refuse purposely to tell them what it truly meant. And the argument yeah. is that that's actually the greatest gift because it lets the listener form their own meaning from it. And he's like, look, if you, if you want it to be about your girlfriend or if you want it to be about, you know, this, go for it. Like the song exists and you can make that piece of art your own. And the argument is with that, it allows people to form a deeper connection to the music than if you said, no, uh, the weight of my words is only about this and you should only listen to it in this experience. Other than that, be gone. You know, where it's like, no, no, no. You know, Quiet is the New Loud was me getting my driver's license and it was a freedom and listening to Toxic Girl and Failure. Like that is so much happiness and joy in there. You know, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, there you go. Yeah. No, no, it's, 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 it's a, it's quite, it's quite an obvious thing. What you're saying there, the thing about what Bob Dylan said, um, we, uh, we songwriters don't really, we don't want to tell what the song is about. There is, it's very tempting every time we do this round of interviews because like, okay, I'll tell you all what it's about. <laughs> this is it. Isn't that amazing? You know, but it's it's something. Maybe you can do it uh, if you do a biography when you're very very old. Yeah, and you can explain the background of the song. But of course, I mean the, the, the songs. I, I write songs, definitely hoping that they will be understood. I, I don't. I'm. I, I would not like to release a song that couldn't be understood. If it's like if it's just too abstract, I would not do it. Um. I I'm I, I myself have spent so much time listening to songs and wondering about 
the days of the songwriter's uh, life that led to that song. And I, I, I think it's beautiful. And I, and I definitely have made of already made of my pictures about it. And I don't want, you know, someone to come wrong and tell me, no, no, this is what it's about. <laughs> it would, it would be, it would be, uh, it would, it's, it's usually sad. Hmm. If, you know, when you get to hear the real, the real, the reason for a song. Right. Like ask for help? Ask for help? Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, I, well, I'm not going to tell you that, but <laughs> as well as uh, I, I think it, it's pretty clear, it should be pretty clear what it's about, but I think it's a song that is, it's born from, from telling about one particular person's story to obviously something which can be, it's quite a universal advice in general. Mm-hmm. And I'm very proud of that we managed to write that song that is so universal in, in some way and also very personal. It's like we're hoping that one friend of ours hears this song and accepts it. Yeah, I guess they're talking to me and it's kind of true what they're saying. <laughs> I should probably just not be so independent and maybe ask some people for help. Yeah, thanks. That that would be great. Uh, sure. And I think that's... That is this. This is the absolute most beautiful thing of music, uh, of songwriting, is that there is like one person. There is like there's one hundred thousand people listening to it, and one of them is realizing, oh, this is about me, right? And and I've written songs that is to a person who I haven't met since the song was written. So I don't know if they've heard the song mm. or if they understand that the song is about them. And that's very cool to know that the song is there and it's doing its purpose as a part of an album, but it's also a message, like a, a private letter in public yeah. that can only be locked, unlocked by the key of the person who was there at the time. Anyway, duh, 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 duh. I know what this is. Right. And I know what he's saying. Ah, that's how he feels about that. Ah, okay, really. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I it, I actually played the song Ask for Help to my mom as we were trying to talk to her about ha- having uh my dad is is very very um sick and he needs to be in a in a a facility where people can care better for him than living at home where he's currently at. And my mom, I love her to death, but like you know, I felt like she was really trying to take all of this on, on her own. And I was like, Hey, you should listen to this song. And it's like, you know, that song was able to say things that obviously I was saying to my mom, but in a different way. And I think that's really cool when, when musicians and artists can make things that also allow people to communicate things, you know, that they didn't even, uh, that they wanted to, but couldn't. Yeah, I think that's maybe also a good place where we end our conversation. Yeah. It's been wonderful. Yeah. Uh I I've enjoyed I've enjoyed the fact that we've you know it's it's actually a conversation, this interview. I mean I, I really can't thank you enough for your time. Uh I know that you've been incredibly busy and, and especially during, you know, the time when you're supposed to be relaxing. So it means a lot that, that we got to chat today. 
I will say good uh, good afternoon to you and good evening to myself. Yeah. And hope hope to, hope we we meet when we finally do a US tour. No idea when that's going to be, but well, I'll be there. You let me know. I'll be there. If you got the will to do it. But you lack the skills to do it good. You've been listening to Blamo. This is a clip of the song Ask for Help from their album Peace or Love. Special thanks to Erlen for chatting with me on today's show. For more information, visit kingsofconvenience.eu or check the show notes for more info with links to the songs we discussed. I'm Jeremy Kirkland. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week. Ask for help. Why is it so crucial who says if only it gets sung? Why is it so crucial who does if only it gets done?